You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. brought my uh, support crew with me today. We have a prearranged signal worked out if it gets too boring for them. So if, if I do something kind of weird up here, it's just don't worry about it. It's, it's for them. <laughs> I bet you probably could. Okay, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we are again thankful to be here gathered around your word. Uh, pray, Lord, we'd be faithful to your word. We'd understand it as it's intended by you for us to understand it. Uh, we never want to go beyond what is written. Uh, but we really do want to understand uh, this passage, this beautiful passage, and I'm uh, just thankful for it. I'm thankful that you give us these sorts of passages in your word. They're just another grace from you, and I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, by way of review, you guys, I'm sure, will remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> right? Yeah, you do. Okay, good. Um what did we talk about last time? First Timothy chapter 5 is where we were last time. And we talked a little bit about honoring elders. And what does honor mean? We kind of came to the conclusion that it means money in that passage. And what does double mean? And it means double, but we kind of thought that it would mean uh, paying them more. Those who were, you know, who did the job well and were especially uh, good at preaching and teaching. Try to think about who qualifies for extra compensation and, and what do you base an elders, a paid elder's compensation on. Look to protecting elders from false accusation and disciplining sinning elders. And we were on restoring sinning elders when uh, we stopped. And then bad things happened for a few weeks and now we're starting up again. No signal yet? Good. Okay. As far as we, that's as far as review. As far as the plan for what we're going to do, I want to finish up 1 Timothy 5, which shouldn't take much time at all today, and then go on to 1 Peter 5. So that's the goal for today, passage in 1 Peter 5 and finish up 1 Timothy 5. Next week, I want to look at, real brief look at the difference between the the role and the function qualifications of elders and deacons. We'll kind of take a look at deacons and then the following week, look at women, the women specifically that's uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter three, and what does that what does that refer to? That's the plan. Okay, so a couple of things I want to clear up from last time that you probably don't even remember anymore. But First Timothy five eighteen, turn there first. Uh, actually, let's read seventeen through twenty five together. First Timothy five, we'll read seventeen through twenty five. <clears throat> says the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. 
No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. That was the passage that we were in last time. Go back up to verse 18 for a second. Just this kind of incidental to this study, but it's an important thing to note when you read this verse. This says, For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. If you have a study Bible, or a sort of cross-reference Bible, you see where those two verses come from. One's from Deuteronomy, and one's from Luke. So it's noteworthy that here in 1 Timothy... Paul refers to a passage from Deuteronomy and a passage from Luke as Scripture. So it kind of establishes some of those truths that when we did the Bibliology class, remember that? Paul here clearly believed in the inspiration of the Old Testament and the Gospel of Luke. So by the time some of these later New Testament writings were being written, it was understood that some of these other New Testament writings were inspired doesn't really have anything to do with the study, but needs to be noted. And then I want to make sure you see the parallel. We did 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 some time ago. Remember that? It says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So the labor that is to be esteemed very highly is those who have charge over you and give you instruction. Okay? Come back to 1 Timothy 5. The elders who rule well, have charge over you, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, give you instruction. So it's very close parallel to what we looked at before. Okay? So that's all by way of things I forgot to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, good. That's awesome. That's for you guys. Like that? <clears throat> okay. All right, so now further direction on assessment, finishing up 1 Timothy 5. Uh, we got as far as verse 23, so we'll start with verse 24. This is, again, a little passage here, 1 Timothy 5, on dealing with elders. And the last part of it is about assessing elders. And he's giving Timothy this direction to go to Ephesus and decide who's qualified to be an elder and who isn't. And he... It's very grave, right? He gives Timothy this this very stern responsibility. He says, I solemnly charge in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these without bias. He's giving him a very solemn charge. So at the end of this, he kind of gives Timothy some very practical instruction that I think makes it a little bit easier for Timothy to deal with. He says, basically in these, we'll look at exactly what they mean. The idea is, Timothy, don't, don't worry too much about this. This is you take it very seriously, but it's not impossible. It's actually fairly easy to do this assessment. And you see why. Verse twenty four. He says, The sins of some men are quite evident. So you take some men and you set them aside immediately. Alright? So if if I got called to somebody's house because they'd just gotten done beating their wife, and I'm sitting down with them and he says, you know, the reason I'm so upset is that you won't let me be an elder. I don't have to do a lot of assessment, do I? Right? The sins of some men are quite evident. Right? And, and that, that happens where 
somebody will think that they should be uh, considered for eldership and they've got, you know, some evident issue. So Paul's telling Timothy, you know, you can immediately take a group of men and kind of set them aside as, as not being qualified. For others, their sins follow after. There will be others where, you know, it may take you a little bit of assessment to figure out that they've, they've got a life that isn't the kind of life that they need to have in order to be healthy. But you'll find it out. There's sins follow after. You'll find it out. It may take some time. In verse 25, likewise, also deeds that are good are quite evident. If a man is clearly qualified, it's, it's pretty obvious. Uh, like Jess, right? When Jess first started coming here, it, we you know, people here have known Jess for years. They know what he does. They know that he's a gifted teacher. They know all that about him. So, pretty easy to qualify such a man. The last group. Those which are cannot, those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Otherwise meaning not evident. Okay, those good deeds which are not so evident, they can't be concealed. A little bit of digging and you'll find those too. Right, so that's what he's telling Timothy. It's a very solemn thing. We don't want to have unqualified men in eldership. But it's not an impossible thing. It's not all that difficult to assess. Okay. All right. That's 1 Timothy 5. Does that make sense then? That part of it? Okay. Okay? Okay. <laughs> no, this is just me. It's uh, kind of strange. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Peter 5, but before I jump into that, there's a couple things i got to say. Uh, first of all, I made a mistake a long time ago that I want to clarify that has related to 1 Peter 5. And I want to tie this in with, uh, give you some background and, uh, and kind of tie this in with something you've been taught recently. So first of all, there is in 1 Peter 5 the notion of a reward for excellence in eldering, pastoring. Some time ago, I, I don't even know who asked it, but someone said, is there a reward for being an elder? There is. And I said, I, none that I was aware of, but there is, and it's, it's given to us in First Peter 5, and we'll see that in a second. I was reminded of that when, when we were doing Philippians, I think it's 4.1, uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, my joy and crown. That's 4.1. And Jim actually referred back to this verse in First Peter 5 about a crown, and then he said something about how men should hug and whatever. I have to remember that part. <laughs> have you guys been hugging a lot since then? <laughs> But there is in, in that, that notion of crown in, in Philippians 4.1 and then same idea of a crown in 1 Peter 5, but specifically directed toward elders. Okay, you'll see that in a second. So some background on 1 Peter. First of all, who wrote 1 Peter? See, back to listen to me. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a duh question, isn't it? Peter wrote 1 Peter. We know that that is true. Did Peter actually pen 1 Peter? Let's back up. Where is it? Hold, please. You can't find the verse. Yes, 5.12. Peter used an amanuensis. We've talked about that before. 
And it was Sylvanus. And who is Sylvanus? It has another name. What? Silas, right? So here you have Peter and Silas involved in the writing of 1 Peter. Um, that is kind of interesting because 1 Peter is written in a style that is different from the other writings of Peter. Uh, the language is, a, is more formal than Peter uses in Acts or than Peter uses in 2 Peter. And so that's why there was some doubt cast on the authorship of 1 Peter. Well, easy to answer that question. It was Silas. Silas, Peter was telling him what to write, and Silas was using his formal Greek language, and he, he wrote 1 Peter. All right. So, written by Peter, with the help of Silas. The main point of uh, 1 Peter, we'll, I'll give you a passage here in a second, we'll look at it and you'll see it, but it's about bearing up under persecution. And tradition holds that Peter died in about A.D. 65, something like that, that he was you know, hung, hung on a cross upside down during Nero's persecution. So the thought is that this was written shortly before Peter's death. Two Christians were being persecuted at that time. Right? So that's why it has that very strong encouragement. And so when we look at 1 Peter 5 today, looking at verses 1 through 4, it's really encouragement to elders. That's what it is. Okay? It's not teaching so much about qualifications or anything like that. It's strictly encouragement of elders. Okay, so 1 Peter 5. Uh, first of all, let's go back to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And you'll see what the book of 1 Peter really is about. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of, spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator, doing what is right. Pretty good passage. Very, very encouraging. Hold up under it. Continue to do good. If you're persecuted for doing good, what a blessing. That's Peter's message. It's a beautiful message. So let's look at verses five, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And we'll see encouragement of that type for elders. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I gave you an extra verse there at the end. Appreciate that? Okay. Should. So the encouragement starts with a threefold identification of Peter. Peter talks about himself in the beginning of this, and you'll see why this is such a great encouragement. I want to spend a little bit of time on it. 
if you want to encourage one another, you encourage your elders, you want to encourage for your fellow Christians, stick with this. Right? Peter tells you how to be encouraging right here through the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. That's the first identification that Peter makes, your fellow elder. Was Peter an elder? Was Peter a local church elder? What did you say, Dorothy? Yeah, but, but exactly. Got he was over all the churches. He's chief of the apostles, right? He's always listed first among the apostles. But he was also stationed in Jerusalem. He was also a local elder in Jerusalem. So Peter could very clearly say to these guys, hey, I know exactly what you're doing and I know exactly what you're going through. Right? I'm there with you. That's encouragement. Right? He's established his credibility right there. I know exactly what you're going through. As your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Okay, that gives me goosebumps right there. If it doesn't do that for you, you've got to spend a little more time studying this. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Remember who's talking here. Was Peter a witness of the sufferings of Christ? Now, I've heard some commentaries that say, well, what he meant was... He was also suffering the sufferings of Christ that he talks about as Christian persecution being the sufferings of Christ. I don't really, I mean, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that's what he means. He says very clearly, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Was Peter a witness of the sufferings of Christ? Yeah, he's in denial. He saw it, but from a distance. Cowardly way, but he saw it. It establishes his credibility. He says, remember, I am this Peter who was a witness of Christ. And I think everybody knows I didn't do that well. But here I am now. And since then, I've been courageous. I'm ready to die for Christ. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. More than anything, that would encourage me because he's saying, Remember the sufferings of Christ. I saw myself. He did this on your behalf. What can he ask of you that is too much? Right? That's an encouragement to serve. Third part, a, partake, a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. If it isn't enough for you that what Christ has done for you, Think about what Christ will do for you for your faithful service. There's a glory that's to be revealed. You're going to be a partaker in that. Just as Peter will be. Peter actually had been in a sense that other people weren't. Transfiguration and things like that. But looking forward to the glory that's to be revealed. So there's three things there. Three motivations for service. You see them? I know what you're going through. I'm right there with you. Remember what Christ did on your behalf. He suffered and died on your behalf. could have stopped it at any moment, but he didn't. He chose to go through that for your sake. What you're going through for his sake is small in comparison to that and is an honor for you to be able to participate in. And don't forget about the future glory that is to come. Now, 
That's encouragement. We all serve in our own ways. Uh, just to tell you the, my experience, I can bear up under a lot of you know, fatigue and discouragement and whatever. I can bear up under that if I have these things going, going along with me, these encouragements. As if I have other people who are serving with me, who their hands are to the plow with me, I can keep going. What's, in, what's discouraging to me is when people drop off. Right? It's when, I'm, I'm trying to think of a specific that nobody's ever done so that I don't offend anybody. Um, if somebody doesn't come to Awana one night because they have something that they're going to do that really isn't necessarily very high priority, it doesn't seem like it, it's a high priority. They're indicating that serving alongside me and, and the rest of us in Awana is just not important. That they're not with me. They're not a fellow worker. That's discouraged. That's when discouragement begins to set in. So then I focus on the rest of you. Right? A lot of times I think about Drew and Brenda. I can say this because they're not here. They're a real encouragement because their hands are to the plow. Whatever it is you're doing, they want to be there almost too much. You know, you almost have to slow them down. Um, but you get the idea. That's encouragement. The second thing, focus on Christ, right? He's our strength. You focus on what Christ did for you, and then you say, I can't be discouraged. How can I be discouraged? He can't ask anything that's too much. He can't ask too much of me. It's impossible. Yeah, so I'm tired, so I, you know, whatever. He can't ask too much of me. What he did for me is too great. And third, I think about heaven. I think about the second coming. I think about that day when he says, hey, you know, you didn't do great, but you tried. Good job. Way to try. Good effort. If that doesn't do it for you, I don't have anything. If that doesn't motivate you to serve and to sacrifice, I don't have anything. But thinking about what he did for you and what he will do for you, and the other people that are striving alongside of you doesn't encourage you to serve, you won't serve. All right. Is that good? Yeah? Okay. I never listen to the tapes. So if I say something stupid, I won't know it unless you tell me. Okay, so that's encouragement to the elders. It's encouragement to do what? Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you. That's the first thing he tells them to do. Now think about this for a second. Go back in your memory banks. This is Peter. He's telling the elders to shepherd the flock. Does that bring anything to mind? Good? Yeah. Remember that? Jesus talking to Peter three times. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And now here's Peter, having faithfully done that for what now? 20-something years. Telling the elders, feed the sheep. That's really poignant. Peter, Peter got it, didn't he? And now he's encouraging the elders to do what he's done. No matter what the cost, what the sacrifice. 
This is, he is a good example for us for that, isn't he? Some of us are a little bit like him, kind of impetuous. So yeah, we're having grace towards spiritual leaders. It's a good, a good thought. Especially me, it would be especially good to forgive anything I say stupid in the next 25 minutes. Okay. Uh, continue on as shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And then we'll look at some. Um, then Peter gives some improper pro- improper motivations, the proper motivations for eldering. After that, I'm going to stop here for a second because he says, "Therefore I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock, exercise oversight." There's three Greek words involved there. I want to see if you know them. Therefore I exhort the elders. <coughs> What's that Greek word? Buteros, good. Jim. <laughs> shepherd, the flock. What shepherd? Thanks, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas didn't really say it, but I don't, I don't want to just try to help out. And then exercising oversight. Now, the word for oversight there is not exactly the same word as overseers, but it's the same root. So what's overseers? Well, you wouldn't necessarily have to know because you haven't been here for all this. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> Good guess, though. <laughs> it's oversight of me. <laughs> Episcopos, remember that one. So, here's a passage that identifies this one group of men as being elders, shepherds, and overseers. That's the verse that we started with. We're trying to make that point. Um, so, this is what the elders are to do. They've been given great encouragement here from Peter through his identification with them. He's telling them to shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. But then he's telling, he's going to tell them how to do it. What should motivate you and what shouldn't motivate you? So, these are kind of interesting. Um, the first one. It says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. They say, don't, don't pastor under compulsion, but do it voluntarily. Um, other translations are, and the NIV is pretty good, not because you must, but because you're willing. And King James says, not by constraint, but willingly. So it's all those ideas. I want to show you, first of all, just think about how you could be a pastor under compulsion in a negative way, because Peter's saying, don't do that. And I want to show you a couple of verses here that might... Clarify this. Might not. First Corinthians nine sixteen says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul apparently was preaching under compulsion, which Peter says you shouldn't do. Uh, let's see, Second Corinthians nine seven. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Here Paul's telling us not to do service under compulsion, but he is. Peter tells us not to do things under compulsion. Same word. We're not going to get rescued by a different Greek word. So we have to deal with an apparent contradiction. 
How do we do it? Is it just contradictory? One of them's wrong. We just got to figure out which one. We can expunge that from our Bibles. Carol. Somebody could tell you this is what you ought to do, this is what you have to do, and so you do it for that reason. That's exactly, I think, the idea. There's external compulsion like that. And Peter's saying, don't, don't try to be a pastor based on some external compulsion where somebody is compelling you to do it. Today, you, you've probably known guys that they've grown up and they've, maybe they're a pastor's kid, that happens sometimes. And they're told, well, you, you need to go, you should, you should be a pastor like your dad. And they go to Bible school and they kind of do that, right? Well, that's an external, it may also be, they may also have that internal longing that we talked about before, the desire for the work. Well, that's an internal compulsion. That's what Paul's talking about. I am compelled to preach, Paul says. I have to do it. It's like we're talking about elders being compelled to teach. It's an internal compulsion from the Holy Spirit. But there can be external compulsion, and we're not to serve under that. And I think that's true of not just elders, but anybody. Any act of service, these first two aren't really don't have anything to do with eldering so much, particularly. Any service ought to be done under internal compulsion, desire to glorify God, and not an external compulsion. Because my wife thinks I ought to do this. Something like that. I don't know. I got that same one. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. I I suppose it could go hand in hand. I mean, if you're externally compelled you're not going to do a very good job for very long, especially when persecution's coming. You know, I, I never wanted to do this in the first place. You know, you guys are you're on your own. Maybe, but I have that same note. I don't, I don't know why. So you're clearly being told to shepherd the flock, feed the flock, and to do it voluntarily, willingly. It's okay to be under this sort of internal compulsion that Paul is talking about, but not this external compulsion that Peter's talking about. You don't do it for any reason other than the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. You believe you're called to do this work. And you love the work. It's the only reason to do it. Um, next section. It says... Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. I like King James. It's uh, not for filthy lucre, I think it says. It's pretty cool. I like filthy lucre. Not for sordid gain, right? Um, if you go in, if you want to be especially a full-time paid pastor, and your motivation is for monetary gain, you're just dumb. Because it's, you're probably not going to do as well there as you could do somewhere else, right? It's just not, 
And if that's your motivation, you're not going to stick with it very long, even if you do start making tons of money. Right? There's other ways to make money. You'll, instead of pastoring a local church, you're going to want to take your show on the road, I'm guessing, right? Because you can fill stadiums and, you know, do your healings or whatever it is that you do. And you can make a lot more money. Okay? So, Peter's saying very clearly, money can't motivate you here. If money is your motivating factor, it's not going to work. Yep, that's next. Yep, that's next. That's the next verse. Take a look. Exactly right. What does it say? Verse 3. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Power. Right? If what you want to do is tell people what to do, that's, you, that's what excites you is you get to tell people what to do. That's a bad motivation for eldering. For pastoring. It's not, it's, it's not proper. But instead you should prove to be an example to the flock. Right? Humble. Um, these are the verses, a couple other verses that go with Passages actually go with that. Can you read it on the tree? Okay. That's why we love coming to the school or whatever that this morning. There's always something new for you at the school. Today it's a tree. Uh, Mark 10, 42 through 44 says, Calling unto himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who recognize the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay. Turns it completely on its head. Elders are not to, to have this thirst for power. Elders are ha- to have a thirst to serve, to bring to bear the truth of the Word of God, to improve the lives of the people. They can glorify God with their service. That's totally different than just wanting to be in charge of people and tell them what to do and get their money. Uh, 3 John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I'll call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either. He forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Uh, Diotrephes not thought well of in the Scripture so for eternity, Diotrephes gets to be known as the one who wanted to be first. Okay? And wanting to be first is not exactly held up as a positive thing here, is it? <laughs> so that lust for power, that lust for desire to be first, is improper motivation for elders. Oh, just a second. I got the signal. Okay? Okay. I told him I'd do something exciting. That was a, it was kind of a dance, but I can't really dance. Okay. So you see that. that if, 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 uh, I hope you don't get to see this. <laughs> what do you call that? Bad dancing, yeah. Okay. I know there probably is a word. Yeah, see? I think it's a butter churn, isn't it? Dale, is that what you call that? Dale. Okay. Alright. But here you see, elders are not to try to have power. They're to serve as an example, right? We talked a lot about elders serving as an example. Remember the dwarf? 
You have to be an example. So there are those qualifications that may even seem somewhat unreasonable to us in a worldly sense, right? Why is why would an elder be held to this? It seems unreasonable. Remember, they have to be an example. Even if through no fault of their own, they're not an example, then they're disqualified. They have to serve as an example. The health and wealth out. Yeah, I think we threw them out a long time ago. <laughs> the gospel actually probably has to be preached. Yeah. Um, okay, now, here is the, the best part of this passage. Okay? And that's saying something. Alright? Look at verse 4. Remember, this is encouragement for elders. This should be encouragement for all of us. It doesn't get any better than this. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. That's it. When the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd, the it's Arch Pomaine. It's the, 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 the top shepherd. And we know who that is. Turn back to First Peter two to clarify. First Peter two, look at verses twenty one through twenty five. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. It's a profound passage. Shepherd and guardian, that is Poimain and Episcopos, of your souls. These two are the words that we use for elders. Jesus is our elder. Jesus is our shepherd. He is our overseer. Capital words. So here's the promise to the elder. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of glory. As his under-shepherd, you've taken a small portion of his flock, and if you've done what he's asked you to do, to the best of your ability... You've been effective. You receive an unfading crown of glory. Now, have any of you ever studied the crowns? The crowns of Scripture? I've heard studies of the crowns of Scripture. And I'm a little, I don't know, I don't know if you receive actual, if there is a time when we receive actual crowns or wreaths that we didn't cast at the feet of Christ. Um, Revelation seems to indicate that, right? So, but this probably doesn't mean that. It's probably using crown to mean a, a, an award, a, and that award being glory. So what you receive is a participation in the glory of God. Right? So it's that same idea of casting your crown before his feet. You receive some sort of glory that you immediately have to return back to the shepherd. What is there that's better than that? Well, nothing. Whether it's a crown and I can physically toss it or it's just I just deflect glory back to God, that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why everything is here. So we, we have that day 
where it's just clearly shown to us, you did what you were supposed to do. The whole reason you existed, you fulfilled it. Greater glory to God. Before I said I didn't have anything, you know, those didn't motivate you. Well, I got this. <laughs> the same idea, right? So I'm just this is a little bit of an aside. And if I didn't say this, then Carol would probably say it. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, because maybe you wouldn't say it. Um, but I think you would. You would. <laughs> uh, no, it's really more for Lanny. Kind of, um, <laughs> there are some people, and I, I really, you know, they don't usually come to Sunday school, but there are a lot of people who come to church, and that's all that they do. You know, there's there's not an active service there. That actively they're actively pursuing the greater glory of God, and I don't get that. I mean, I don't. I completely don't get that. I don't understand it. If you're saved, if you've been touched by the grace of God, you want nothing more than the glory of God. Megan, do you know something I don't? about Peter. Yeah. He was. So here here's what, here's what I would say about that, okay? I don't think burnout is a function of too much service. I don't think it is. I think burnout is a function of improperly motivated service. I really do. If I'm serving because I want to get encouraged by people and when I'm not, I get burnt out, I get sick of doing it. Yeah, I'll get burnt out. I know I'll get burnt out. I, when, when I was doing youth ministry stuff in Ohio, for instance, I got real discouraged one time because I had parents, a parent, yeah, a parent, who was didn't like something we were doing, whatever. We spent a lot of time on and, you know, all that. She was right, by the way, but I didn't know that at the time. But I was discouraged because I wasn't getting the encouragement from parents. I was improperly motivated. So I really think if your motivation is the glory of God and you just keep pursuing that, you're not going to get burnt out. I don't think you can over-serve. I, I don't. Now, part of your service is spending time with your wife and understanding your wife and, you know, making her happy. Part of your service is being there for your kids and doing things with your kids. That's all part of your service, though. So, yeah, I would say, you know, you, don't, you never want to leave your family behind and go, you know, serve like that. You have to balance all that. That's true. 
and work. You have to be faithful to your work. You have to make sure you're there on time and you don't leave early because of, you know, service activities, things like that. That, all those priorities have to be there. But I don't believe in getting burnt out by over-serving. I don't think that's biblical. The notion of considering the cost is considering the cost of becoming a disciple, as I understand it. Don't come to Christ and that's the easy believism idea. Don't just think that, oh, all I gotta do is, is accept Christ and I can go on living exactly as I ever have. There's no cost whatsoever. That is not true. You give your entire life to Christ. There needs to be a change. You repent of your sins and you serve. That's the cost that we're talking about. Yeah, that burns me out more than anything else. We don't, uh, well, Megan and I agree on this. Jamie's not here, so Diane's not here, so they won't listen to this. <laughs> we get burned out by going to soccer. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> soccer. And we're happy when soccer ends. You know, they love soccer. So, but we don't do a lot of other things because of just what you said. We, you know, we got to have your priorities, figure out what it is you want to do. You've only got so many hours in the day. So that's all true. But, you know, I don't, I just, I don't believe in the idea of burnout. And I could be wrong, you know, maybe the Lord will show me that, that I'm totally wrong on that someday. But I don't think you can ever serve too much. When you're doing it for the, for these motivations, these right motivations. Could be wrong. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, and we have, like I mentioned, Drew and Brenda. Drew and Brenda are just wonderful people. If you know them, you know this. They're, I mean, they're just so encouraging to all of us all the time. We as elders have to watch the Chad, another guy. We have to watch those kind of people to make sure that they don't overcommit and potentially do damage to their work life or their family life, things like that. Because they just they have such a strong, lovely desire to serve. So yeah, there is you gotta have priorities. And I, I do believe in rest. You know, we're in physical bodies. You need to have rest. You need to take care of your body. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now here we don't get a lot of persecution yet. We'll see what happens. Rob.
one of your priorities has to be your time in the Word, prayer, worship, like we're doing here. When I say, when I'm talking about serving, I'm really kind of encompassing all that in there. Anything that is to the greater glory of God, that is what we ought to spend our time on. Now, that's going to include rest. I need some rest, or I'm not going to be able to do this or that. I'm not going to be a good dad if I don't get rest. You know, all of those things that we need to do, we'll prioritize them. And I don't, that's the point, is you prioritize those things and you do them, but you can't over-serve. You can't over, you can't put too much effort towards the glory of God. I guess what I'm saying. Again, it's motivation, right? If you're doing it to please God for His glory, you're not going to burn out. You can just keep on going. Okay, um, that's actually perfect timing. It's the first time that has ever happened. This page goes under here. And the next is this page, and that's about deacons. So that will work out perfect. How was that? Is that okay? You stayed awake? Braden? Okay. All right, let's pray and we'll do something different. So we're again thankful for your word. Thankful for the encouragement that's in it. This passage has been just uh, so beautiful and so encouraging and uh, so glorious to me. And I pray, Lord, that it would be one that, that has that same effect for all of us, that we would seek to glorify you uh, as we, we, we think about what it is that you've done for us. We think about what it is that you're going to do for us. And these others that are so willing to serve alongside us, that we are so thankful that you gave us the church, and this church body in particular, Lord, I'm so thankful for that there are so many that are so willing to serve and to, to that are serious about bringing you glory and honor and living their lives according to your word. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.